You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. Well, it is a beautiful day. It is a hot one. And so I'm only going to uh, speak for a good 45 minutes. I hope you brought your sunscreen. Not, I'm going to go shorter. And we're doing some today. We're going to call this a communion. It's a sermon, and it concludes with communion, remembering what the Lord's done. And so at this time, the ushers are handing handing out Dixie cups. Those are not for communion, but you will need those for the sermon. So it's part of the sermon. You're going to participate in the lesson a little bit today. So everybody needs one of those little Dixie cups, so please hold on to that. Uh, Last week, uh, we were on um, a staff retreat. Uh, The Coastal LA ministers were on a, a getaway time, but... The service here for the West Side was phenomenal. There, there was really, uh, it, it was an incredible event seeing. Uh, I got to watch it online and, and hearing uh, the sermon and hearing all the sharing, the singing, the event. It was, it was an awesome time. I want to hold up the Screenland ministry for last Sunday's worship. What a tremendous job. And I know Dink talked about the masks that we wear. And I think that is appropriate in L.A. I think that is appropriate uh, on the west side in particular. I think that uh, we can too easily uh, be focused on the masks we wear as a defining aspect of who we are. And we're immersed in a culture, uh, as he shared, that, that says if you're a man, your self-esteem and your value is defined by the size of your wallet and your bank account. And sadly, this is how it is on the west side, women, you're, de- you're defined by the size of your, 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 your dress, to be quite honest. That's how America treats women, and that's how America treats men. And it's not right, but it is a reality, and uh, it's been that way for 3,000 years. And there is an answer to that uh, superficial value system. Dink quoted uh, 1 Samuel 16, he talked about how the Lord, as they're they're trying to pick a leader. And in our culture, we are also consumed with leadership. And unfortunately, we look at the outward appearance, right? They looked at, at the, those that were taller. When, when uh, Samuel went to anoint the next king, he was looking for the tall, impressive, physically fit image of what a leader would be. And yet, we find the scripture in 1 Samuel 16 that says, Do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I don't care who you are, but you're in this culture, you are going to be tempted to value people based on those two things. And then in the church, when you become a part of the ministry, a part of the church, a part of Christianity... Unfortunately, you don't necessarily change those value systems, although you know you should. And sadly, even in the church, new boundaries at times get established. New evaluation mechanisms get established for who can be in and who can be out. Who's right and who's wrong. And I want to talk a little bit about how today the title of the lesson is simply Contact with Jesus changes everything. Contact with Jesus changes everything. And so I want to I want to talk a little bit about this concept of who's in and who's out. 
But I want to begin with a little experiment. You also have your Dixie cup. Does everyone have the Dixie cup? Okay, you have one. I don't have one. Let's just, can I get one? Because I want to participate here. All right. Thank you, James. Okay, so here's what I want you to do with the Dixie cup. Now, I know you may not like doing this, but it's an experiment. Okay. I want you to all go ahead and spit in your Dixie cup. Just, just spit a little bit in there. Just a little bit in there. Spit in your Dixie cup. Now you might need water, it's hot out here, you might have a little water to be able to spit in your Dixie cup. Just in case. Okay, you get a little in there? I know if your mouth is dry, you can't, you know, that don't work, so you have to get some, figure that out. Did you guys spit in there a little bit? Okay, you guys do it? A lot of you always think you've done it. It'll have a better effect if you actually do it. Okay, now, for those that are willing, and I really want to ask all of you to do this, just go ahead and drink that a little bit of that spit they put in there. Just, you know. Okay, the teens and anyone under 12, they just were like, of course, I'll do it. But a lot of us, how many of us, how many, raise your hand if you would not drink your own spit? And most of us wouldn't. This is very interesting. A couple minutes ago, I saw you all swallowing, drinking your own spit, because it was already in your mouth. Right? You did, I mean, you do it all day long. It's, it's natural, right? You, you know, you'll, you'll drink it, or you'll swallow it, because that's a natural function of our life. Right? We all do that. It's not unnormal, it's not, not weird, it's not disgusting, right? Everybody has to do that. You do it all day long. But here's an interesting thing. Psychologist, there's a psychologist who did a study, the Dixie Cup study. And what he discovered is that most people are unwilling to drink their own spit even though it was in their mouth three seconds ago. Why? What is going on? Why would we not be willing to do that? Because we have a little psychological boundary system and we have a disgust mechanism within our life and it affects you in ways you may not even be aware of. I put before you it affects your Christianity. You wouldn't drink it because you created a boundary. Once it was outside of your body, it was now gross. But three seconds ago, it was the same stuff was inside you, right? It was in your mouth and you didn't mind swallowing. But here's the reality. We create boundaries in our life that things that are outside, they're other than us. They're not acceptable to us. They're different than us. They're not included in what we are. And this creates an incredible lack of acceptance. And you look around our culture today and the racism that exists, unfortunately, is there. You look around the, the social dynamics that exist right here on the west side, and we draw many boundaries, those who are in, those who are out. And contact with Jesus can change those boundaries. Contact with Jesus is the key. And so I have one verse for us today. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. How do we change... 
excluding things we shouldn't exclude. Now, I don't think it's right or wrong to have not drinking it. Interestingly, kids, they don't even care. Or macho guys, they like breaking those disgust boundaries and they would naturally drink it. Uh, there's other studies that uh, this psychologist did. Uh, and, and then it was studied by uh, Richard Beck. He wrote a book called Unclean. And there's this idea of how we we won't touch things we think are contaminated or things that are outside of us. There was another experiment where they had a cockroach dropped into a cup and a cup of water. But then they took the water out and they boiled it for like an hour. And then they filtered it. And then they boiled it again. So now you know the water was cleaner than most water that comes out of even bottled water that we buy. But most people would not drink it if they knew the cockroach had been in it. Because we have a psychological barrier in our mind. That's wrong. That's outside. That's disgusting. And Jesus helps us break that barrier where the barrier should not exist. And I put before you, sometimes illogical barriers towards people exist and they affect our ability to give them love or embrace them. Let's look in Matthew chapter 9. Let's read in verse 9. Matthew 9 verse 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Interesting story. The Pharisees were committed to living the best and most righteous life they knew they could live. They followed the laws and message of, of Moses. They followed the Ten Commandments as best they could. They fought for it. They fought for standards they believed were right. They wanted to be purified from a corrupt culture. They wanted to pull away from the values that were false and contaminating. And then we find the picture of Jesus in this setting. And a tension is set up between the idea of, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, why is there tension between the two? I mean, we are told to be sacrificial. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. So why is there tension between mercy and sacrifice? What is going on in this situation? And the reality is, Sacrifice creates boundaries. In other words, the whole Jewish system was set up on creating perfection. In order to create perfection, if you did something wrong, a sacrifice had to be made to make it right. And that is how we function a lot in our culture. We think, I got to make up for what I did wrong. I got to constantly make up for what I... And we run around with a guilty conscience. I know I do all the time, unfortunately. We feel like we've got to earn... We, we create boundaries. And you know, boundaries are not a bad thing. They are needed. Boundaries are needed in life. 
But Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, the Pharisees had drawn boundaries and decided that the tax collectors, if you know the history, they were not included. They were not welcome in the community of Israel because they had sided with the Roman Empire. They were greedy. They had violated God's standards. They were not loyal to the Jewish way of thinking. And of course, sinners, whatever that exactly entailed, you look at the Ten Commandments, we could all fall into that. But they categorized people based on that. And they saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And in their mind, and let me tell you, we are just like them in many ways. They thought, well, this isn't right. Why, why are they, why is he eating? Back in that day, the idea of eating table fellowship meant equality with. Meant uh, you are now, you're equal with me in status. Our culture, not so much. Although I will say, when you have someone over your house, there's something special about that. When you, when you sit at the same table, when you eat with people, you are saying, hey, we're together. We're equal. We're one. In their culture, it very much meant that. And so here's Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, they were living by a sacrificial system. There's rules. You got to have rules for life to work. And yet he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy is the idea of breaking some of those barriers, going beyond what might feel uh, uncomfortable. And really, contact with Jesus is the very thing we need to be able to cross some boundaries. And a lot of times we have boundaries as to who, who we feel is accepted into our inner circle. Who is it okay to be around? Who is it okay to fellowship with? Who is it okay to really say, hey, they are my brother. And I do think we need boundaries in this regard. But I think too easily, our boundaries make nearly everyone on the outside. I got injured back in June, being really foolish. I shared earlier about how I, I was foolish. I, I decided to get into a competition with 25 year olds on who could uh, push one another off a platform uh, inside a big bounce house. I thought that would be, I, I don't know what I thought. I could demonstrate my athletic prowess at age 52. I, I was very foolish. I did not win and I ended up in the hospital. Uh, three times I went to the emergency room and then ended up in the hospital for a whole week. And it was during this time, my whole system of thinking began to evolve. I, I, I realized I, I shouldn't be trying to win competitions with 25 year olds. And more than that, I don't need to win anything to have value in life, which for many years, I, it's, it's still a little bit in me. Forgive me in the years to come if it comes out still. But I realized that um, my value systems skewed a little bit. And one of the things that really impacted me, uh, and we realized how our value system can affect the way we view people, and the way we accept people, and the way we treat people. One of the things that happened while I was there uh, that impacted me about breaking barriers and, and crossing boundaries, and it really came from love, and you see how love is the thing that can cross boundaries. My son was there, and. Um, Carrie, you know, night and day was by my side helping me. And sadly, you know, I was in the hospital. They fed me so many narcotics because I had back pain and they couldn't get the pain to go away that the back, that the narcotics constipated me for an entire week. 
Okay, that's rough, guys. One whole week sitting there, I hadn't used the bathroom the right way. And I was not feeling well. And the hospital was like, this isn't okay. You, you can't, you're not going to get better unless you work this out. And my son had come to relieve my wife to help me. And I remember at this time, they uh, did a couple procedures called enemas. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Yeah, had one of those. And that began to get things moving along. But unfortunately, I couldn't move very well because my back hurt. And I, I mean, it was bad and I couldn't move. And so things were not as hygienic as you would like to have seen. And my son was in the room, my 22 year old son. And he had to help me. And of course, any of the nurses and the clinical partners that were helping me. My son at age 22 was helping me into the bathroom and if things needed to be cleaned, he was assisting. And I said, why are you willing to help me? And he goes, well, when I was um, when I was seven, you remember when you told me not to eat that whole pack of tiny little hot dogs? Yeah, yeah. He said, well, remember what happened? I said, yeah, you threw up all over the bathroom downstairs in the, the guest bathroom. And it smelled and it was pretty disgusting. It was on the wall, it was everywhere. He goes, yeah. And he says, remember what you did? I said, yeah, I, I cleaned it all up. I just took care of all of it. And I was, and he said, you were really kind to me about it. You didn't, you didn't yell at me. You just, you just took care of it. And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. You see, when we, when we cross boundaries through love, when we understand and accept that the boundary has been crossed for us, it enables us to cross it for others. Another thing that happened in the hospital as I began to think about all this, you know, in the hospital, there, we have a few doctors among us and I, and I honor them and I respect them. Uh, I've shared how Ifoma, uh, can really helped me even speaking to the doctors. Um, she, she made sure that they handled my treatment the right way. But one of the things I realized while I was there is I only saw the doctors briefly and they would come in, give me a little update and then they would head out. They didn't, you know, they, they were, they were doing their job, but you know, in our minds, you know, really, and even financially, if you look at how that, you know, you had the doctors at the top rung of the ladder, then you had the nurses, then you had the clinical partners in a hospital. The clinical partners, their job is to do what my son did, help me in, in, in whatever bodily fluid needed help with. Uh, the nurses as well did that, but I, in my mind, you know, in my, in my arrogance, I would always, like, you know, the doctors, they're the important ones. But let me tell you, at 2 a.m., when you are in great pain and difficulty and suffering and feeling embarrassment, and somebody comes in there who's title and who gets paid one-tenth of what the other people get paid, and they take care of you, you get a new sense of what real value is. God did a miracle for me while I was in there. I, I started to get this sense of I gotta value every person. I gotta look at every person as valuable. I can't rank them. And I don't wanna rank people, but I, I, it's in our DNA. And so late at night, one of the, I, you know, I had to get out and use the restroom. It's by time I, could, I, I was able to get in there on my own and everything, which was great. But I, you know, I was concerned. This one guy comes in late at night. He was a clinical partner. It was like 2 a.m. I had woken up. I needed to use the restroom. And he, he was helping me out. And I had made a commitment. I've got to uh, value every person. Uh, he was a Hispanic uh, clinical partner. He, 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 uh, his English was, he had broken English. Um, and
and maybe normally I might have been too tired. I was like, I'm not going to talk to him. You know, my, my judgmental side might have been like, I'm not going to engage in conversation. But I was fighting that, saying, I gotta have a, I gotta, I gotta value every person. And I began a conversation with him. You know, I saw his name tag, Isidore. I said, Isidore, well, tell me about your family. And this is at 2 a.m. I'm awake now. He's working. And so he starts telling me about his family. It turns out he has three kids just like me. And one of his kids is, is nine years old. I go, oh, I have a nine-year-old. He goes, yeah, I, I do too. And I began to tell him the story about my nine-year-old, how he's, uh, he's my son, but he's also my, my wife's sister's son. And he goes, I have the exact same situation. That, you know, we ha we've had legal guardianship of Nathan ever since he was a two. And he's my son. Legally, in, in that regard, although we haven't, the formal adoption hasn't been done, and I began to talk to him a little bit about this. He goes, I have the exact same situation. And we had a conversation for like a half hour and explained to me how to, how to be a great father, how, how he was able to legally arrange things so that it, it made it so that everyone felt awesome in the family. Here it was 2 a.m., and God was sort of like opening my eyes to a way of really loving people that I hadn't seen before. And he was giving me a little gift, a little insight on how to even help my own personal life. How often do we just, we pass judgment, they're different, they're other, they don't speak the same language or in the same way or they grow up the way, or I can't connect or relate or there's nothing here for me. And we don't cross that boundary of mercy. Mercy calls us to cross the boundary. And here's why we can do it. Because Jesus crossed the ultimate boundary for us. He ended, the, in a sense, the sacrificial system, right? His ultimate death says, you are valuable. You're so valuable that I would die for you. And yet your sin is so bad that it caused his death. And we're left with the tension of mercy and sacrifice. We're, we're left with this concept of how bad are we? Why do we always have a guilty conscience? Because we sin a lot. But how valuable are you? Valuable enough that God would end the sacrificial system and cross every boundary to say, you are mine. As we take communion at this time, I want us to think about our own lives. I want us to think about who's on the outside. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, will we bring, will we accept people into our community and family. Yes, there's biblical boundaries you want to call people to. But Jesus sat with the tax collectors and sinners and said they need help. And he accepted them and sat at the table with them. Though he didn't say it's okay to stay the same. He did call them to change. There was a transformation that occurs. Ultimate mercy and love for people will create transformation, not judgment. As a church, are we hospitable? Do we bring people in? Are they welcome into our family so they can be transformed by the message of the cross? Let's go to God in prayer at this time as you take your communion. If you don't have a communion cup, please raise your hand. The ushers will go ahead and bring you one. And I want us to reflect really on as we take this, this is Jesus wanting to have contact with us. He's saying, take me into you. Cross those barriers. Because I gave everything for you and came to you. Mercy triumphs over sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to reflect on 
what mercy really means and how to overcome our own barriers to acceptance and to love and to care for people. Father, I really pray that uh, you will minister to each of us uh, as we take in the body of Jesus and the bread. It reminds us, it, it teaches us that his body was given for us. As we take in the fruit of the vine, God, it, it reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed. And we, yes, we take it in, God, to say, yes, we accept it. And we want to pass on that mercy to others. Father, thank you for the mercy we know we don't deserve. But we accept it humbly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.